Thanks. Sure. Now the words do tie up, and I'm thankful that God does speak through all of us. It's, it's one thing to have a word pre- prepped in your heart, and you can prepare in the week and everything, but it's funny, even the way in which you present that what you have can change. Um, even though the words will be there, but I, I feel even the heart of it, um, I've had to just meditate and just hear what the Spirit is saying, hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And uh, just picking up on the prayer meeting this morning was that almost like felt like some of us have been in this house, have been in the house of God for so long that we can be like the oldest son. We can be, in a sense, resentful of the other son because he's had his jaw, he's had fun, and I'm stuck in the house, and, you know, and, and if you feel sometimes that the father shows more affection to the one rather than the other, rather than towards ourselves, and there can be a comparison that we can quickly draw, uh, almost like a competitiveness, and it's totally not of God, and he's calling us to, to be in the house, he's calling us to celebrate the father, I mean, that was the purpose, that the father rejoiced. And he said to his servant, go and get my fatted calf. It's a grain-fed veal. And he's saying, look, we're going to enjoy this thing today together as a family. And the other son was resentful towards that. But, see, the, the, the point of that, that scripture was that the other son could also realize, doesn't matter how long you've been in the house, we come to rejoice, not over merely the son coming back, but we're rejoicing over the grace of the father. It's got nothing to do with just rejoicing over the son. It's, and so really, as we, uh, I know they, they've titled that scripture is the prodigal son, but actually it's the prodigal father, because he was the one, the word prodigal means spendthrift. In other words, you spend so much, you're wasteful in your, your spending, and the father was wasteful in the sense of his extravagant love towards his sons. And so we need to just get on board and celebrate him with the father, with the lost son. Am I right? And in fact, that's what I want to share on this morning is about being a disciple in the house, what it means to be a disciple. Because the longer we are, we can quickly think like the older son. And so I want to talk about the authority that we have to be a disciple. And uh, I know I've shared on many times is what it means to go and make disciples. And uh, I've shared on Matthew 18, if you can just bring that one to us, the funny, please. Did I give you that one? Oh, sorry, Matthew 28, verse 19. Oh, sorry. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I love that scripture because, I mean, that is the great command. That's what we call to do is to go and make disciples, right? I mean, that's, and that's why we, we, in a sense, are proud, not, not selfish proud, but proud in the Lord, or, or bo- like Paul says, I boast in the Lord, you know, of just the ability that our church has been going, has been sowing out. And so we have been going, and, and that is important, and that is what we should be doing. Because it prevents us from just being navel gazers and it's all about us. No, it's about what we're called to do. And, uh, this, and I love the scripture because it talks about, you know, going and making disciples. Now, we often look at that scripture and we can, in a sense, understand it to agree that, that we're called to go. And with that going, with that great commission that Jesus has given us, he says, but all authority has been given me. So therefore, you go. I want to ask you, what is that authority that Jesus has given us. 
give us, let's have some interaction this morning. What authority has Jesus given us? All authority. Oh, Han, you really reduced it there. Come, give me some thoughts. What is the authority that Christ has given us? To reach, to heal the sick, preach the gospel, yeah, teaching, teaching them to obey. Pray, what? Drive out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, advance the kingdom. Okay, so it's when the darkness comes, when the light, sorry, when the light comes, darkness flees. And so we, we advance the kingdom. And so Jesus is saying, look, all authority has been given me for you to go, okay, and to advance the kingdom. Now, I was looking at that, I was reminded of that scripture in Luke 10, verse 17, when, where Jesus actually sent the disciples out. Now, that wasn't just the 12, that was 70, 70 disciples, he, said he sent them out, he says, go, now I've taught you what to do, I've told you what to do, now go and do it. And so it was like a trial run, you know, I don't know if it worked, but he was trying to get them to understand, this is the authority that they have. And the guys come back, and they're marveling, and they say, Jesus, even the demons are subject as we speak. Even the demons are subject to your name. And they were like, wow, you know, and, and, and it's that thing of understanding the authority that we have. And so we, we have that authority. And I, I sometimes feel we don't, we don't always walk in that authority that, that Christ has given us, but that is the authority that Christ has given us to go and make disciples. Now, I want to emphasize this because I think as we begin to understand just what that is, and so if you could turn with me to Ephesians 6.12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the, now I want to notice the emphasis in the heavenly places. So there is a sense in that as we go and make disciples, we have been given authority and a commissioning that Jesus gives us to go make disciples, but there's a spiritual warfare going out there, and it's out there. It's in the heavenly places. Did you know there's realms, there's spheres, there's, there's levels of authority that's been put in place? And so when we advance the kingdom, we, we actually we extending the kingdom with the authority to, which is out there, okay? So I want you to know how that works, because I think as we begin to understand there is an authority that we have in going, God has also given us another command, and this is what I want to emphasize this morning. It's not so much media. I'm not going to be talking this morning about the going. I'm not going to be talking about the authority that we have to go, because, I mean, we've shared that, but I, I felt the emphasis on the Lord this morning is what it means not just to go and make disciples, but the emphasis is what it means to go and be, to be a disciple. Okay, because that is just as important. And believe it or not, Jesus does give us a commission in that. I'll bet, I'll, I'll bet most of you don't know what I'm talking about. Where, do, where in the Bible does Jesus tell us to go and be a disciple? Well, I'm going to prove it to you. <laughs> Because sometimes I feel this command is overshadowed by Matthew 28. This command of go and make disciples. I mean, we all know that scripture. We, as, as churches have it as their vision, as their signboard, that is what we call, that keeps our purpose, our plans, and there's nothing wrong with it. That is what we call to do, okay? It's to go and preach the gospel, to heal the sick, raise the dead, to do all of those things, to carry those, that authority of Christ for out there. But there's another authority that Jesus gives us to being a disciple. And I want to turn to John 13, 34, 35. It says, a new command. Right? The same way we got a command, Jesus, go make disciples. A new command I give you, that you love one another 
as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then he says this, by this all will know that you are my disciples. And if you have the love for one another. So yeah, Jesus is saying, look, I want to emphasize a new command. There's a new authority that, that you have, not only to go make disciples out there, but there's a new command of being a disciple in here, within you. And uh, notice that it's also a command, okay? It's, it's also a supernatural authority that comes with the command that Christ is giving us. And so Jesus doesn't say, a new suggestion I give to you, a new train of thought, you know, do it when you can, when you're up to it, when you feel like it. No. It says, this is a command. And the only reason I'm telling you that this is a command is because in yourself, you're not going to be able to do it. But I'm telling you, you can do it because I've given you the authority to do it. And this authority is, is wrapped in love. And so if you're going to be the salt, if you're going to be the light, if you're going to be an emphasis that you actually mine, that you my disciple, you're going to have to be in this love and to love. And I, yeah, I'm just feeling in the Lord that just as we do that, as we just, I want you to meditate, just take a moment and think, God, is this love that you're talking about, is it really flowing in me? Is there things that, that I'm holding back in my ability to love and in my ability to show that I'm actually yours? Is there things holding me back that's preventing the expression of your love being exercised to my brother? 1 John 4, 20, you don't have to go there. It says, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. Pretty harsh scripture, isn't it? You might say, well, Benny, I don't, I don't hate my brother. I just don't associate with him. <laughs> I just don't, I don't walk in his circles, you know. He's not in my cycling group or my fishing group. <laughs> I'm in that fishing group and I haven't gone fishing yet. <laughs> but anyway, let's... But do you love, is the expression of the love of God in you that actually it's revealing that you are his disciples? And there can be people in the church, and you can say, Benny, I don't hate my brother, but let me say, is there avoidance? Is there a cold shoulder? Is there a lack of affection or a smile or just, just being with that person? And I know. We, we have conflict and understand it because we've been in church how long? It's, it's natural. It's going to come and it's going to be there. And like we always say, there isn't a perfect church, but there is going to be those things where, where the Bible says iron sharpens iron. And what is it saying? Well, there's going to become places and times and moments that there's going to be conflict. And it's hard. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with people? You know, and, and how, do I, how do I live in this unity? How do I reconcile myself to someone who's hurt me? And I've done that. I know as an elder, I've, I've hurt many people. Not as much as Chad, but I've hurt people. <laughs> Some of us have different gifts, different graces on our life. <laughs> Emotional damage. 
But, but there's moments, there's moments that we have that we have to take the authority of the love of Christ in order to reconcile with that person. And it's not authority based on what that person's going to respond to my. It's an authority that comes from the Father. As many times I've messed up. And in those moments, I've had to ask the Father. I've had to ask God, look, this love that you're wanting, that person's hurt me. He's, he said things to me. I've had to access that love. And it's not, it's not a worldly love. It's not dependent on what they do to me. And so God says, take up that authority. I mean, I've, I've even heard people, I mean, there's a couple that I've, I've heard. <laughs> My teeth is looking back. And I know even for them, I've, I've messed up with them. I had to go to them and say, listen, do you guys really forgive me? I, I'm really sorry. There was a choice that they had to make. And say, so we're going to access God's love to forgive Benny. You know, there could have been a moment where they could have said, you know, I'll be in the church, I can accept that, but I don't have to associate with Benny. I don't have to have connections with him. I don't have to even have a meal with him. And, and, and they can probably get away with it to a degree. Hey, am I right? You could. You could probably live in that. But you know what? You're going to be hiding behind a fig leaf. You're going to. You're going to be hiding. And many of us, our cold shoulders, our little avoidance are fig leaves. Church, they're fig leaves. God doesn't want us to play church. Because you know what? One day Jesus is going to come and he's just going to go, Bunk, and he's going to push, pull that fig leaf off and you're going to go, <laughs> you are. You're going to go like that. That's all it is. It's a fig leaf. What is it doing? It's covering up your nakedness. Your insecurity, your inferiority, your fear, your anxiety, all of those things. God's saying, I don't want you to be covered with that. You're my son, you're my daughter. I've got a garment for you that far outweighs a fig leaf. Can I say, if you're an orphan, you're going to be wearing fig leaves. Have you ever seen an orphan dressed in smart clothes and, you know, looking good? No, I lived in an orphanage. I saw those kids. They always had hand-me-downs. Always had donations. God doesn't want us to have donations. He doesn't want us to substitute our nakedness with fig leaves. And the only way to put on that garment is to take the garment of love that Christ has put on you and he's saying, clothe yourself. This is almost like a prophetic picture where I feel God wants to just take his cloak and put it over us and to put it on. And I feel there's some of you sitting with anxiety here, some of you sitting with fear. If God, if I just... I have to expose myself in order to, for you to come and do it. I want to, say, I want to say to you, take faith this morning. Let God expose that little bit of nakedness that's in you. Because it's only then that he can begin to clothe you again. We all have to do it. We all have to make those decisions. You say, but God, that person's going to see me for who I am. Well, you know what? The only way that God's going to do it is, is in that exposure. But I want to say it's God is a way. He's got a way of dignifying you in that process. You don't lose your dignity in Christ. In fact, you gain a dignity because he says, you're my son. And this fact, that, that scripture of the prodigal son, wasn't that what when the son returned, the, the father took his cloak and put it over him. He put it over him. And I love that scripture in, in Revelations 19. And it says, I don't know if I gave that one to you. Did I? Okay. And it says, and it's talking about the church. 
This is when Christ returns. And he says, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright in the fine linen, in the righteous acts of the saints. Notice, he doesn't say there it was the righteous act of Christ. It's the righteous act of the saints that God clothes us. Yes. So I want, I want you to understand this. It's almost like your response now to be clothed with the love of Christ is going to be reflected on that day. So you can put on that robe of righteousness by putting on Christ in the moments where we offended, in the moments that we hurt, in the moments that we're living in fear and we don't want to be in that place of exposure. It's that moment where we take a face step and say, God, at the moment, I'm going to stand naked before you, even before man. But I'm willing that you come and do it and clothe me because I know I can't do it in myself. We all have to come to that place. When we come to salvation, we come to the acknowledgement that it's no longer I who live. We have to come to that place, church. Every single one of us have to come to that. And yes, there's a moment of exposure but there's also a moment of grace and dignity that God wraps his love around us. He wraps himself around us, actually. As Paul says, I put on Christ. And so that is our testimony. By all will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so our testimony as a church, our testimony of being a disciple isn't our great preachings, isn't the worship, isn't how cool and fad we are, isn't it about the apostolic gift or the, the prophetic gifts on the church? What is the sign that we are his disciples, that we love one another? You see, we can put on, you see, even those things in themselves, giftings, anointings, all of those things in themselves can also be fig leaves. Do you ever think about that? It can also be a facade. I mean, you can see me preach here, but it doesn't mean you know how I live. I can be a big cover-up at home. You don't know how I treat my wife at home unless you're there or how I treat my kids. I can live in a cover-up. This can be a fig leaf. And you can think, wow, Benny's really got it. But I don't. I can live a deceitful life. And so this cannot be the illustration that I am his disciple. It's my ability to love my wife when she annoys me. It's my, my ability to love my kids when they make me when I just clap them sometimes. And I've got to show love that doesn't show anger and, you know, those things. It's got to be an expressed daily. And we become living sacrifice. And I think sometimes we put too much emphasis on the authority of Matthew 28. Go make disciples. And this is the authority that we forget the authority that God has put in us. And he's saying to us, church, be ready for me. Be ready what I want to do in you, not only through you. There's a difference. Being in you is being a disciple. That's why 1 Corinthians 13, I want to go there quickly. It says, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gifts of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, and so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I have nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but you have not love, it profits nothing. You know, there can even be a point where you can actually sacrifice your love, your life, sorry, and that might not be done in love. I never thought of that. Imagine, imagine actually giving yourself to the point where, look, everybody, I'm dying for Jesus. 
but it could still be motivated out of, look at me, recognize me. You can be a martyr too, even to the point of martyrdom, but actually not love. Quite, quite weird that scripture, huh? And so all those things that I've just read is all the things that we can do under Matthew 28. You know, gift of tongues, gift of prophecy, discerning, gift of knowledge, even faith. We can go make disciples with those gifts. But can I say we cannot be a disciple with those gifts? That's where love comes in. We're not just called to make disciples. And yes, Christ has given us authority and he's called us to go and do that. And we will always do that till the end, till Jesus comes. But he's also calling us to be a disciple. And so I want to ask this morning, even, even as I read the, the scripture of, of John, when, when Jesus says, a new command I give you. I was actually thinking about that earlier on. I've actually shared some of this stuff in Stillbar, because God has been talking to me. And I often wondered, like, what did Jesus mean when he said, a new command I've given you? Because don't we read that in the Old Testament? I was looking it up in Leviticus 19, 18. It actually says, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So what did Jesus actually mean? Was Jesus wrong when he said a new command I give you? Was he wrong? Well, I started looking at that scripture parallel. I put it in because Jesus requotes that scripture in Leviticus. Uh, when a scribe comes to him, he says, good teacher, can you just, can you just sum up the law? I just want to, what does it really mean? to enter the kingdom. What is it going to take? Can you just sum up the law for me so we can simplify this whole thing? And Jesus says this in Mark 12, 30. Did I give you that one, Stefani? Yeah, it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first command. And the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. You might say, well, Jesus, well, what did you mean that this is a new command? Is this not an old command? And I began to look at the scripture more intensely and just realizing Leviticus 19, 18, where it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, where the command that Jesus gives us is you shall love one another as I have loved you. And there's a difference. There's a difference. I want to give you a bit of an English lesson. There's a word here that says as. It's called the preposition. Okay, I never took English. If I can get this, you can. Well, I did take English, but I never <laughs> learned it. And uh, that thing of as, so the one is love your neighbor as you love yourself. You see, the one is rooted in you. It's rooted in your love, where Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. You see, that word as is rooted in him. It's not rooted in you. And so as we understand where, where is your preposition in your love. Really, that's what it's saying. What's it? Your still. This is Afrikaans, huh? Preposition. Fuerzetstel. I learned that for Stilbar. <laughs> now it's pretty much an Afrikaans group, eh? <laughs> but you, your love can either be rooted in yourself, which is going to have a limit. Think of it. If my love towards Stephen is rooted in my love towards Benny, there's going to be a limit to the way I, I love Stephen. Why do I say that? Well, I'm broken. I've, I've got bits of me that has fallen. My understanding of love is also distorted to a degree. 
God's teaching me. I'm being sanctified. But there is only so much that, I'm, that I know that I'll be able to express to Him. And so there's a limit in how I disciple Him if, if it's rooted in me. And I want to say it too, because often we say, we, we take the scripture where Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we use that as an illustration. Well, you see, we've got to love ourselves in order to love others. Can I say that's a lie? I want to say why it's a lie. Because I know I've heard a lot of people preach that. Jesus is not emphasizing that you love yourself. The, the emphasis of the command is that you love others. Okay, that is the emphasis, that you love others. But he's saying the way you love yourself, you are to love others. So in other words, Jesus is making a, a, a statement. And the statement is that you already love yourself. You know, you clothe yourself, you put on makeup, you, you put deodorant on yourself, you take yourself on beautiful holidays, you do all these things for yourself. As much as you give attention to yourself, I want you to give attention to your neighbors. That's what he's saying. He's not telling you to love yourself. He's already saying you already do. And to the same degree that you love yourself, I want you to love others. And so the emphasis is not on, you know, on the command, it's to love others. It's not on you. And, uh, and so, but there's a limit. Think of it. There's a limit to which we have to love others in the way we love ourselves. You ever thought about that? You know, that was a great command. Jesus is a new command I give you. Have you ever thought, you know, you, you, the Old Testament guys could not love the way we can love. Have you ever thought of that? Jesus never gave this command, this new command to the, the people of the Old Testament. Why? Because love had not revealed himself to them. See, God is love. And they understood the law. They understood God says he's love. They, they, they understood his principles, all of that. But they never saw love himself. <laughs> love was not demonstrated to them. Love never came down yet. They didn't see love. They knew about it. They read about it. They, they knew it was coming, but they didn't know it. It was limited, and so it was limited in the understanding. And, and I love the scripture in, in Romans 8, it says, verse 3. It says, for what the law could not do, that it was weak. Okay, It could not do this in the weak. The Old Testament people couldn't understand this. In that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his son. You see that? Do you, do you get it? The law was weak. And Jesus says, look, I understand the law was weak. I couldn't give you the command to love others the way I loved you because you wouldn't understand it. And the law was weak to reflect that truth. It couldn't do it for you. And so a new command I give you. In 1 John, uh, 1 John 4, 9, it says, And this love of God was manifest towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son, into the world that we might live through him. Notice that this love was manifest. Only in the new covenant did this love become manifest to you and I. Do you, do you get it? And so under this manifestation, God says, you see my love. You see what love is. Now you go and love the way I love. Do you see it? And you're going to love through the way I love. It's not just something God telling us to do. It's something God doing through us. Okay, do you get that? In fact, that's what, what we were talking about this morning, casting your crown. There's nothing in yourself that can actually do it. It actually has to take God working in you. It's a, it's a, it's a supernatural love, church. It's, and so when your brother hurts you to that degree, you've got to tap into that love. It's not rooted in yourself. It's rooted in him. 
And Paul understood this when he writes to the church in Philippi about exercising the supernatural love. He says this, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort in love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection of mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love. Okay, the same love, being of one accord, one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each one esteem others, now listen to this part, better than himself. See how scripture changes all of a sudden. Paul's saying, listen, you're not going to just do it as you do it to yourself now. Now that Christ has expressed himself, you have no excuse. You've got to do it even better than yourself. Now, I can't tap into Benny to love Wilco, if he offends me or hurts me, now I've got to really just tap into the Lord because now it's got to be beyond me. Do you get it? So there's no excuses for us anymore. Christ has revealed himself. And let each one not look after his own interests, but for the interests of others. This love is supernatural. It's a supernatural ability that we've got to take. It's from the Lord. And that's why I love the fact that Corinthians gives us an understanding of this love. It gives us a demonstration. Because I could say I love, but how do you weigh that up? How do you gauge when you're faced with different situations? Because you're going to be faced with different things. And I've got to express love differently in different times. I could say, well, I love him. It's not my fault he doesn't get it. That's his problem. You know? We, we can do that. But, but I love Corinthians because Corinthians begins to illustrate. It says, listen, you're not going to get off the hook by just saying I love you. Love has got to have a fruit. Love has got to be demonstrated. It's got to be seen. And this is it. And let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. We all know this. We, we preach it at the weddings, you know. And I wonder how much of that we live in in, in matrimony. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But where there's prophecy, again, it's emphasized. Where there's prophecies, they will fail. Where there's tongues, it will cease. Whether there's knowledge, it will vanish. So that is the fruit that Paul gives us. He says, I don't want you to just write a blank check and say, love, do what you want. No, no, he says, now, now you've got to live in that love, and this is what it looks like. Here's the fruit. You're not doing your own thing. This is to know whether you are living in that love. And I'm going to give you some fruit of what that means. Because I, I can think I'm in love with God, and I love Him well, and there's moments that I find that I'm short with people. And I realize at those moments, actually, I'm not in relationship with the Lord as I should be. When I'm finding I'm not having long-suffering or patience, or when I'm not kind, or sometimes when I'm rude. Believe it or not, I can also be rude. My wife can vouch. <laughs> but the same way there is fruit for being in God's love, there's also fruit of having self-love. Think of it. In fact, the Bible warns us of this. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5. But we know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Now listen to this. For men will be lovers 
of themselves. Okay? Same way, this is what God's love. Now, we're going to, they're men that can be lovers of themselves. And this is the fruit. They're lovers of money. They're boasters. They're proud. They're blasphemous. They're disobedient to parents. They're unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then it says this, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. Sure. Self-love. I don't know. Self-love. I believe is the enemy of being a disciple. You can't be a disciple and love yourself to that degree. The Bible warns us of this, church. In fact, Jesus warns again, and he says, um, you know, just as I was thinking about that, you know, I don't know about you, but there's often when I just even watch TV and I get angry with things that I see, when I see uh, violence, when I see corruption, and I just look at the world, and I think, oh, politically, why is this not happening? And you get angry, and everything worked up. And the, and, you know, the Bible warns us of that. It says, don't do that, because it says in, the, in those days, I think it's Matthew 24, Jesus actually says this. It says that, that because of this lawlessness, um, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. See, this is not our home. This is not where my affection should be. See, that's what makes this love so great. It's that it's not rooted in the here and now. So why is my love determined on things around me? Is it because my, I still love the world? Is there, you know, the Bible says if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Sure. I have to be like, God, forgive me. Sometimes I put too much emphasis on those things. You've called me to love. And that love better be shining. That love better be bright. That love better be real. That the fruit of it is working out of me. That when Jesus comes, he can see it straight away. And I want us to be that church. I want all of us to be in that. I want us to live in that. And so this morning, I want to I create an opportunity just to say to those, maybe there's some of you here that don't know about this love that I'm talking about. You've heard about Jesus, but you know what? As we read that scripture, that love came down, that Jesus manifested himself to us. And he said, this is love. That Jesus Christ died for you and for me. And the Bible says that he died while we were yet sinners. Christ didn't die and say, well, let me wait till that person gets straightened out and then die for them. No, he said he died while you were yet a sinner. Isn't that amazing? God's love is not dependent on our, it's, it's us coming to him and just repenting before him. But his love was there demonstrated already. And I want to say to you, maybe you've never met Jesus. Maybe you've never come to the knowledge of him. Can I create an opportunity for you to meet him this morning? This love that I'm talking about? Can we close our eyes and just for a moment? Lord, I want to pray just for some people here this morning. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, that if there's someone that's never met you this morning, I pray that you would make yourself known this morning. That, Holy Spirit, that you would come and do the work and reveal yourself. Your Bible, the Word says that your Spirit is the one that bears witness with our spirits, that we are children of God. And, Lord, you're calling us by your Spirit 
And Father, I want to pray that if there's someone here that, that witnesses you this morning, that witnesses your love, Lord, won't you come and just meet with their hearts? Won't you come and touch them and bring a conviction, Lord, that they respond to you, Lord Jesus, that they accept you as Lord and Savior, that they don't live for themselves as we read in Scripture. And Lord, they might have been hurt, abused, whatever, Lord. And those things can stop us from, from wanting to know the love of Christ. But Father, I pray that you would break a hard heart this morning, if it need be, and begin to soften the heart that they can experience you. You're not a, you're not a bad, you're a good father, the word says. And you know how to give good gifts to your sons. You know how to, to restore. You know how to bring dignity. You know how to clothe us with your righteousness. But Lord, you require that we come and repent before you. And so if there's anybody here this morning that have never met Jesus, can I, while the eyes are closed, can I ask you to raise your hand? 